Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Michael Creighton. He's the writer, author, producer, director, and speaker. Michael, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Kevin. It's uh, it's nice to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. We've kind of known each other for a while now, and um, you know, you're, you you've done some interesting things. You're doing some interesting things. But maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Well, actually, uh, um, I, uh, I'm from Montreal originally, and uh, uh, it's interesting because when I was working with um, uh, William Shatner on his Canadian tour sure. uh, a few years ago, I found out that he and I have very similar backgrounds. Uh, his dad was a, a, a Jewish immigrant, as, as my father was, who escaped from, uh, from Europe during uh, World War II. Interesting. My dad was almost old enough to be my grandfather, actually. But, uh, and then he ended up uh, in Montreal, and, and uh, I grew up uh, on the South Shore in Montreal, eventually went to, uh, to college at university. They used to call them SAGEPs at that point, and that was at the, well, it was originally Sir George Williams University. And my, my first interest was well, music. I grew up uh, uh, studying music with the Royal Conservatory of Toronto, and then uh, I got into theater in, uh, in uh, college, and actually in high school and college. And then I started doing theater. I did a little bit of radio. I was a, a, you know, I was a musician. I started writing songs when I was uh, 10 years old. So I, was, I came from a very creative family. My dad was an architect. Uh, my sister was a painter. She actually studied with Arthur Lismer, who was one of the uh, group of seven. So I was surrounded by a very visual family, and uh, theater was something I really enjoyed, and music, all those kinds of things. And I was a wanderer. I was just, you know, kind of a dilettante, I think, in terms of my youth, because from there I went to Toronto, I went to Los Angeles. Uh, I bounced back and forth. Um, I ended up uh, ultimately in Alberta. Uh, with a plan to go to Europe to study theater. And uh, I went to Fort McMurray, of all places. Uh, and actually, my life in comparison to William Shatner was almost identical. We did radio and theater in, in, uh, in Montreal, but we're 20 years apart. He did it 20 years earlier. Sure. And then he went to New York. I went to Fort McMurray. So that's where our paths <laughs> and stories diverge, right? So it was there I got into radio as a happenstance. I, I mean, I went out there, I was working uh, in concrete, of all things, uh, pouring all of these uh, foundations for all of these large the larger buildings in Fort McMurray at the time. But I started a theater group, and I was doing a cable television show called Open Mic, and I was always very diversified creatively. And I had written, I was writing songs ever since I was 10 years old. Uh, I was writing stories, that kind of thing. 
Uh, and then I got into radio uh, just by accident. And that was in a day when you could get into radio without virtually any experience. Now, I'd done a little bit. I'd done some recording and stuff. So when I got into radio, it wasn't just about writing commercials. I was hired as a copywriter, but I was also producing. So I was on mic. I was, I was recording commercials. I started winning awards internationally. Uh, right from Fort McMurray, and then uh, the short form is ended up in in Edmonton as creative director and eventually production manager at a station called Kissin FM, just before Country went cool. And uh, from being the bottom of the ladder as a radio station, we became number one. And then from there, it kind of grew. I eventually ended up with a consumer electronics chain as a spokesperson on television nationally. Uh, I was producing. I eventually became independent and was writing, producing, and directing for all forms of media. But ultimately, when I got into the business, I didn't understand the connection between, say, the business side of things, which would be marketing and creative. And I was wondering what that connection was, and I began to educate myself, went back to university part-time and studied economics and marketing and, and so on, and educated myself around advertising communications. And I became very focused on the process of creativity because ultimately I was always very adept at generating ideas, but there was a point where I kind of went, okay, how does this actually work? And from there, that process ensued. You know, I eventually had my own studio in, uh, in Edmonton and then, uh, and then continued to work independently. And I was working on all fronts. Like I got very connected to the interactive, what was called interactive at that point, which was really the internet. So sure. I was very enamored with what was going on on the web. And, uh, and through that process is where the concept, the concept for a brilliant idea every 60 seconds came. And where that came from was that I realized that copywriters uh, never really have a great uh, reputation with uh, uh, you know, advertisers. I mean, we're always looked at as, as sort of a not low life, but it's kind of like we're we're a necessary evil. And I realized that if I was going to, because I had a lot of ideas, and I wanted my clients to take these ideas on, so I would challenge myself and say, how quickly can I generate something? so that it changes the nature of the relationship and they have more confidence in what I'm offering so I could do the things that I wanted to do, which were, at that point, people would think of it as something outside the box. And it was there that that was sort of the, the DNA of what became the concept for a brilliant idea every 60 seconds, which I didn't really start writing until 2008 and didn't complete until 2014, and it was published in 2015 out of New York by Gildan Media. And, uh, I mean, there's quite a story around that because I had worked with uh, Nightingale Conant in Chicago, and they were the DNA of the self-help genre. Uh, Earl Nightingale and Lloyd Conant formed the company in 1960, and they started the self-help genre. And... Uh, I was called out of the blue by the CEO uh, in around 2007, somewhere eight, somewhere in there, and uh, he found me on the net because I had a website, and he says we'd like to hire you. And it was weird. He's like, "Hi, I'm the president, Gary Chapel, and the CEO and president of Nightingale Kona. I ended up working with him, and and the guy who was the vice president of publishing, Dan Stretzel. Uh, he, uh, he eventually became independent as well because Dan, uh, Gary retired, Dan kind of retired from Nightingale Cohen and became an independent literary agent. And Dan is my, my literary agent. So I ended up having, uh, 
Uh, they sent them the book. They loved it. Uh, went to New York. Uh, Jill Dana is the guy who drives Gildan Media. He used to be the uh, vice president of electronic media, I believe, for uh, Simon & Schuster. And he started uh, Gildan Media, and they had a big relationship with Amazon. And uh, next thing I know, I'm being published. So that's kind of it. There it is, sure. the synopsis of uh, where that all came from. So that That's great, man. I, I, I love that, right? But I want to kind of step back a little bit and how did you get an agent, especially get an agent in in a big city when, to be honest, you don't even live in that country. So how did you work towards getting an agent out of Chicago? Well, that was a bit of a process. I mean, part of it is, is happenstance because I had the relationship with Nightingale Conan and I knew Dan Strutzel and ultimately that connection was made. But in advance of that, there was a process, and, and so it began with me looking for literary agents. And I remember connecting with a literary agent out of, out of California, and, and she was very, very, you know, very qualified. But her attitude was, I mean, at one point in the conversation we had, uh, and it was literally me just reaching out, and I decided that, uh, I mean, I had this dream. And uh, I'm sure people that are in the listening audience uh, for those of you that are writers or you have a project, you have a dream. Well, I did what a lot of people have talked about is just do it and see what happens. Sure. Ain't got nothing to lose. So I reached out. But when she said to me, well, you know, the publishers might change the name of your book. And, and as soon as she said that, I went, okay, I'm maybe somewhat arrogant or whatever, but I went, I'm kind of happy with the title of my book. And I realized that she really, you know, she it was very formulated, but I understand that because publishing in the United States is at a very, very high level. And so the people that know what they're doing really do know what they're doing. So, but the thing that I realized is that I, well, well you know, I have a certain view of what I wanted. And so I was not... Uh, going to just jump on board with the first person who said, sure, I'll take you on. And and so from there, I talked to a couple of other agents, and it was a matter of, of just, you know, determining who is the best fit for me, and I wanted to be selfish. And that can be tough to do, because I realized that you want to get published. Now, either self-published, which is a lot of work, sure. but, and I admire the people that are doing very well and have, you know, have, have published whether it's fiction series or self-help series, it's a lot of work to, to do self-publishing. And I've done it myself. I did a self-published book. It was my first book many, many, many years ago. I sold 56,000 copies in, oh, in wow. Canada. But it was a kind of a utility book called uh, The Phone Butler's 101 Telephone Answering Messages. And it was all about how to put together an effective telephone answering message. And uh, eventually, the, <laughs> eventually the concept was bought by AT&T. And then the second book I wrote was part of the Canadian series, and I was sort of a, a contract writer. But the third one, this book, is the book I wanted to write, which was about creativity. So part of part of the process, and I think it, it, it kind of goes to, to what uh, Stephen Jobs talks about, which is, you, you know, you can't connect the dots forward, but you can connect them backwards. Um, you, you put things in motion and you never realize where they're going to connect, but you have to take those, those little risks. You have to start somewhere. Now, the fact that I had already put a website out early in the game when the internet was really just developing, those are the things that came back to connect with me sure. in a way that I would never have imagined. And having worked with Nightingale Conan, Dan Strutzel, it was just, that was a happenstance and bang, everything aligned 
he uh, and that's and that's and that's what led to getting published. But the thing is, I always had the mindset, and I, I don't mean to to downplay the importance of Canadian publishing, but the reality is, and what I've learned is that there is a real separation uh, to a great degree. Uh, Gildan Media does a very effective job in the United States, and there's this tendency not to look at Canada as seriously as one could. Sure. But they do give me as an author the leverage to do whatever I want in Canada to promote my book and so on. But I thought if I'm going to have any, and I, I don't know how this is going to sound, <laughs> but the reality is, is if you want to be taken seriously, it's better to be published out of New York yeah, yeah. in that yeah. sense than it is to say be published out of, let's say Toronto. And that's not to put the Canadian context down. It's simply a reality yeah. and it has been, and it's a struggle for many artists. Although, you know, we have a lot of incredible talent and, and, it, and, and it continues to move forward at south of the border in terms of things like comedy, for example. Yep. You know, and, and, and so we, we have a lot of talent, but there is this validation, there is this perception. And so for me, it was, if I'm going to be taken seriously, I'm going to be taken more seriously if I am able to say, hey, I'm published out of whether it's New York or Chicago or wherever I get published. And for me, it was New York. That was a dream come true. Sure. I'm very, very fortunate. But I worked at that process, and part of it's luck, and part of it is just throwing enough stuff. The dots eventually connect. And, uh, and, and so that's, and that, so that's how that process you know, those kind of dots aligned for me ultimately, but I had already had that intention of, of, of wanting to be, to be published out of, uh, out of, well, preferably New York or anywhere in the States that, that had, you know, had the, the cachet, if you will. Sure. Well, but I, I think it's like, I call it kind of creative or created luck because, you know, you had stuff online early on. And I think even still to uh -huh. this day, I think just having a LinkedIn profile and, and on a website and you creating content like you know if you put out something good eventually something good will probably happen to you right and it doesn't always happen but like it's not gonna you're not nobody's just gonna call you if you don't have like a website or a linkedin profile it's just not gonna happen or the chances of it happening are so small well, some people, too, you know, some people refer to, you know, the law of attraction and, and the way, and you're right, I, I absolutely, uh, uh, you know, agree with, with, with your context because you, you will never know. As a matter of fact, uh, something that Dan Stretzel said to me is, is very interesting. He says, it only takes one person. Yeah. That's all you it only one takes rate. one, one event that will trigger. And, and here I am at 61 years of age acting like a 17-year-old. But here I am at, at 61 years of age, and I'm not going to quit. Sure. So to me, I know that there's always one person, one event that can happen. And you know what? It could even be within this broadcast. Sure. I mean, you know, we're reaching thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Somebody out there is going to hear something. This is how we all have to think. We are all connected in that way. As a matter of fact, now when I think of the evolution of the Internet, the truth of it is that prevails. And I think more and more people now consider opportunity to do something because they go, well, there's so much going on out there. Mm -hmm. For example, you could go to Kickstart. Yep. And you can see the kinds of projects and the things that people are, are developing. If you have an idea, if you have a concept, 
you have an opportunity. All it really takes is, is and, that, and that's the discipline. The discipline on the creative side of the process is you have to just keep putting it out there because the only way that luck happens is if you put yourself in the window for luck. Totally. If you sit at home on your couch and keep your blinds closed and don't go anywhere, no one's going to know what's going on in your life. So you just keep putting it out there, and the truth of it is you never know when someone's going to connect with something that you're doing. And it happens to me, I would say that every month there are a couple of things that happen where I suddenly connect with people I would never have expected to connect to. Sure. And it's not that they're famous or, or that that's not the point. I connect with interesting people, and it's about people. And the thing is, people are looking, and especially now, given the nature of economics and everything else, but I think the Internet has really fueled the independent nature of individuals to do the things that they want to do. And I know that there are people listening or saying, you know, I have an idea and I want to pursue it, but, I, you know, is it going to happen? Don't ask the question, is it going to happen? If you want to do something, just put it out there. Sure. And, and we have the ability to learn. There's lots of information. There's all those things. But I, I find that I do it now with, with blind faith. I put stuff out there no matter what. Matter of fact, the, the, the way that you and I got connected I is very much that. a part yeah. or a reflection of that process. Sure. Yeah. Like, and I guess for the listener, like you and I met through a mutual friend um, and then we uh -huh. connected um, while well, we chatted more at a, a recent event. Um, and then mm -hmm. now you and I are even this weekend are actually speaking at another event together. And, and so like it just and then obviously you're on the show, but like you know, a few months ago, we didn't, I, we've been connected on LinkedIn, I think for four years, I, I looked, but like you and I never exchanged anything, at least to my knowledge, in that time until like, I don't know, a, a couple months ago, right? And it's, it's just crazy how things just happen when you put yourself out there. And you, like you said, you, you just meet people or they send you a message or you got introduced to them. But if you don't actually put yourself out there and be available to be introduced to, or connected with, chances of it happening are, are very slim. That's right. And I think, I think if there's anything that, that if I've learned anything, you know, over the last, you know, 40 years of doing what I do sure. is that you do, you know what? Patience is a virtue. I mean, a lot of us, I know there's especially, you know, in terms of as a, as a younger man, I know, yeah, I was impatient. I wanted things to happen right now. That, I would say they don't happen necessarily now. right now. I'll tell you what, they happen a lot faster these days than they have happened in the past. Sure. So the thing is, is, is that if you have a clear purpose uh, or a reasonably clear purpose as to what you want to do, and I would suggest that in this world that we live in, that certainly diversification is a good thing. To be able to do different types of things is fine. But if you have a single proposition that you're focused on that you love, that interests you, that's what you do. You focus on that because here's the reality. I realized, and I've said this to, to, to my fiance, Jan, I, I've said, you know what? I only need 1 million people to buy my book. There are 7 point whatever it is, billion people in the world, of which about half of those people, I think, are online or connected to mobility. Mm -hmm. And I have put out uh, Google AdWord campaigns at times and stuff like that. And I've connected with people in Japan and 
Africa and Europe and all over the place, Australia, America, the UK. Sure. Um, and the reality is that it, 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 we live in that kind of a world. And if you look at it that way, you have to be patient. You, but what you have to be is consistent. Yep. Put stuff out there on a regular basis on some level, whether it's once a week or maybe a couple of times a week, whatever it is you do. And people say, well, what is the way to communicate? Like we talk about social media and people are wandering around this thing called social media trying to understand what it is. A lot of people claim to be experts in social media. I got to tell you, it's an organic animal. Yep. Social media is just organic. And, and I think that you and I have talked about this. Totally off air uh, already and that both of us feel the same i don't feel i'm an expert in social media everything i know about that communication is just a language that i've learned and i just look at it organically but what i have learned is that in the content that i put out every time i put something out i try to put out something that has some meaning at least to me in a way that is meaningful for others Totally. So that it's not I had my you know fried egg this morning. Uh, <laughs> it's more about is it an idea? Is it a concept? Is it you know a reflection of something and so on? And so I I I think that purpose is a key. And in succeeding in publishing, for example, whether you're publishing a podcast, publishing a book, putting out a film, whatever it is that you're doing. You you want to have a clear purpose in mind. Why? What is my purpose in focusing on this particular thing? What is it I want to do? And then the other thing is, what do you understand about the consumer you're targeting or the reader or your audience? And one of the things I, I, I sort of fell upon recently was that uh, if you want to be effective in terms of understanding who your, let's say, reader is. You talk through your reader to talk to your reader. Sure. And that means that when you're writing, for example, that you are experiencing the read of that material from their perspective on some level. Interesting. And it may be that you simply create a person or a, a context, a psychological context that you're appealing to so that you realize that, I mean, I, I remember when I was writing my book, I, I read the first draft and I said, what the F am I talking about? <laughs> I, I was just like, what? Oh my God, this is so self-indulgent. And I revamped my entire structure of the book and I rewrote it. Interesting. Uh, and, and I was very fortunate that I, in one way that I had determined what my voice is because uh, in terms of as an artist or as someone in communication, you have a voice. Do you know what the definition of that voice is? And I'll give you an example. Sure. My voice is, I see, I see life from the edge of a coin. Okay. Looking at both faces to understand everything from hypocrisy to love. Interesting. So I have this tendency to look at what I call negative space. When I say negative space, I mean negativity. It means in, in photography, negative space is the area around the subject. So I don't always look in the light. I look in the shadows. Sure. So I'm always looking at alternatives. I am trying to hear the things that I don't hear when I'm listening. I'm trying to see the things that even though I'm looking at it, I may not see. So for me, that is my voice in terms of what I do. My purpose, 
My purpose is that I believe everyone is creative and I want everyone to tap into the way they operate creatively. John Cleese said, and I love this quote, he says, creativity is not a talent. Creativity is a way of operating. Interesting. Now think about that. Yeah. Creativity is not a talent. Creativity is a way of operating. Everyone listening to this program, I'm telling you, you just made hundreds of decisions before you heard this program. Sure. All of that's creative. Have you ever lied? That's creative. <laughs> we are all creative, but yeah. we go around saying, well, I'm not that creative or blah, blah, blah. My purpose is to is is really to galvanize that creativity. So that's my purpose in life sure. with the work that I do. Sure. And um, so you have a clear purpose, and as and certainly in terms of publishing, whether it's like I say, whether you're doing a podcast, whether you're doing a book, whether you're creating a you know whether you're producing a film, uh, I don't care whether you're you're creating an invention or you're improving a a corporate process, whatever you're doing, uh, you have a clear purpose. That's the beginning of of where it becomes meaningful, and then it affects your content. And 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 I think that. There is a lot of meaningless content out there, but I call it the, I used to call it the diary of the human condition. That's how I describe <laughs> social media. It's probably more accurate to call it the diarrhea of the human condition, but, <laughs> but, 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 but ultimately I, I follow social media to see what people are thinking. So I, I don't get, I don't get upset about trivial comments or whatever the case may be. It gives me an insight when you think between LinkedIn and Pinterest and Instagram and everything else that's, that's out there and, and, and Twitter and et cetera. We are, I mean, look at what's going on politically south of the border. I mean, we, I got to tell you, if, if, if anything about Trump, okay, if we're going to talk about Trump at least once in this conversation, sure. there, if nothing else, we actually get to take the ride on the presidency through Twitter, totally. through a guy who's willing to do that, yeah. for better or for worse. Sure. And I kind of go, you know what? That's kind of an interesting proposition for all of us. Yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, you know, whether you support Trump or not, you can't ignore the reality that the populist thing, if anything, Trump perhaps is a reflection of what's going on in the world in terms of the maybe what's becoming the the breaking down of uh, many kinds of status quo. Now he may not be the best guy in the proposition give, sure. given the position he has, but I'm not going to. This is not what this is about. What it is more so about, I think, is a reflection of the reality that anything is possible yep. once you release the 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 sort of that that or we release ourselves from the status quo and, and that's what social media has done. That's what the internet has done. Sure. You and I are 30, 40 years apart, 30 years apart, yeah, 33. And yet you and I can have some synergy. Yep. And in a world where maybe 30, 40 years ago, that may have not been the case. Sure. No, totally. So the title of the book, a brilliant idea every 60 seconds, kind of covers what the book is about, but I want to dive deeper into what is what does that mean and how do people kind of do that? All right. My proposition, which differentiated me from other books on creativity, was the prospect or the proposition of speed. Okay. 
so my 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 focus was to create a book that based on the methodology of how I work. So there is a methodology. So there's 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 nine inherent values I call them. These are triggers for ideas. The the idea was that you could wake up hungover. <laughs> Sure. And you needed to get generate an idea for something that you could sit down and have a methodology that would allow you or facilitate your process of generating a big idea very quickly, literally within 60 seconds. And in some cases, you begin to realize that ideas generate ideas. So the process may you know, go on for minutes. It could go on for a long time. Sure. But the thing is, is that we have the ability, we generate ideas, but rather than looking at it as something as we come up with ideas, we don't come up with ideas, we find ideas. Sure. So I have this proposition is there's nothing outside the box. I'm sorry. Agreed. Yeah, every, agreed. Time I hear, every time I hear somebody say, I want you to think outside the box, I, I go into deer in the headlight mode. <laughs> I go, there's nothing outside the box except the vastness of my own ignorance. I'm always in a box, an ever-expanding box, sure. but all I know about reality is what I know. So I connect dots. The brain is constantly connecting dots, and, and everybody's brain does this. We all connect things. You know, you have a moment in your life where you say, oh, it occurred to me. Well, that's your brain when you, you, know, when you weren't looking. It was putting, you know, it was thinking about things, that, you know, something of a priority for you. And at some point, dots are connected and it kicks it upstairs in the conscious mind and away you go. What I wanted to provide was a methodology, which has nine inherent values, where you sit down and say, okay, I need an idea for, I want to improve a relationship. I want to increase productivity. Uh, I want to innovate. Uh, I need a theme for something. Uh, whatever it is. And I made it unilateral. I didn't want it to be for one specific thing. You need an idea for something. Well, a lot of people sit there, stare in space, and think that the idea is going to come to them. Well, actually, no, we find them. So if you can find them, then you need a roadmap. So you can choose an inherent value. As an example, there's uh, the very basic value of, of, of uh, you know, function result. And, and so you, you look at the function of something and look at the result. As an example, you don't buy a drill. You buy a hole. Sure. You're not buying a drill. You're buying the hole it makes. Sure. And if you're a creative person, let's say writing an ad about tools, well, what you would do is you sit down and say, okay, what is the derivative of the tool? The tool produces something, and that creates a whole culture because people who make holes make things, and they're creative. Sure. So it's it, it. So those are the triggers, and then you begin to look at ideas that are generated. What I call the idea string. So there's three steps. There's context, then you generate an idea string, and then you find the what I call the actionable idea. Now, the, 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 the context is why do you need an idea? What's, what's your purpose? What, what are you looking for, generally? You want to solve a problem, and, you know, I have a couple of, of inherent values, problem, solution, cause, and effect. You can list causes and effects and begin to see trends. And, and what it is, is is really mapping ideas. You start, in, and the process, what I like about the process more than anything, is that we begin to realize that every idea expressed, there's no such thing as a lame idea. It may seem irrelevant at the beginning of the process, okay. but that's not the point. An idea is an idea. 
the more you put out there, then you're able to start sorting and you look at trends and ideas. If you start to see trends and causes, trends and effects, you begin to start identifying what you need to do in terms of developing a solution for a problem that you have. So the book is, is, is that way. There's over 50 case studies. Um, and it begins with the nature of your creativity because here's one thing. You can't appreciate the book unless you understand who you are creatively. And the first part of the book is devoted to focusing you on who are you in terms of creative nature. Sure. How do you generate ideas? How do you think creatively? That kind of thing. And it goes to games of pretend. It's, it's, it's analysis of the games of pretending that we engaged in as a child. Because that was when we are, generally speaking, unless you're in a, a very abusive situation of some sort, but generally speaking, uh, we are fluidly creative when we are children. Totally. We don't ask why. You remember playing games to pretend? Yeah. Yeah. Sad that's gone. And, right? and every, every second of that experience, you're, you're generating an idea, and you're not qualifying it. You're just experiencing the generation of that idea. You're just, you know, you keep generating and generating. And we all have a different context around it. The environment that you were in, were you a leader in the games of pretending, a follower? Was it about telling the story? Was it about the end of the story? Did you have to score the championship goal? If you look at the games of pretending that you played as a child and then look at who you are today, you'll see the connection in terms of how you process creatively. Interesting. So I'm curious, what do you tell people that still think they're not creative? You kind of covered it a little bit, but I kind of want to dive deeper in that because I think a lot of people still struggle with that. Well, as I say, there are a lot of people that put the notion of creativity out there somewhere. Right. Sure. So unless I invent a Facebook or unless I can produce something, an invention or whatever, I'm not all that creative. You're right. The biggest challenge, and this is at the heart of my purpose, and, and generally I wrote the book for people who say I'm not that creative. Sure. I love it when I, when I meet those people and I, I did a speaking engagement recently where I had that person in the room. Okay. And I and I work with them. So what all I did was, number one, I took them back, and I said, "All right, let's talk about games of pretending." And sure. we we started talking. I said, "What kind of decisions did you make today?" And so on and so forth. The thing that they ignore, the thing that we ignore, because it's not brought to our attention, is we, the things that we do creatively are not brought to our attention. The educational system does a little bit of that, but doesn't do it well enough. We don't really spend enough time uh, connecting or making creativity a tangible process. That's why the word creativity, I, I say creativity to people, and it's like deer in the headlights yeah, is the yeah. reaction. Yep. You say big idea, suddenly people are galvanized. <laughs> what we don't realize is that creativity is a process. And so people who tell me that they're not creative, I acknowledge that. I say, okay, I get that. I, I understand that. And then I start talking to them. And it may even come down to something as simple as when we're talking and saying, tell me about a lie you just told recently. Interesting. And then you engage them in, in something that you know is inherently creative. And then you, you feed that back to them. 
and you say, okay, that's very creative. And you explain how, how it is so because of what it takes to manifest the lie, uh, is, it takes a lot of creativity because it doesn't take creativity to manage the truth. The truth is the, is really the, the revealing of fact. Sure. If it happened, it happened. That's the truth. A lie is something we manufacture. So now we go, all right, we start talking about what kinds of things have they done? And I said, did you have a problem recently? And they say, yeah, you know, whatever it may be, something small perhaps. And say, what did you do to, to deal with that problem? When you begin to connect people with the process itself where creativity uh, is, is manifested, they begin to get a sense that, okay, but I don't think I could do a book or I could do a whatever. Well, I know, of course, that that's simply a function of choice. Sure. Because you, Stephen King, I can't be a Stephen King. And I, I get that. We have exalted creativity far beyond what it should be. Yep. And here's an interesting notion. Steve Zuckerberg did not create Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Steve Zuckerberg created a directory for students. Yeah, you mean Mark, but yeah. A billion and a half people created Facebook. Yep, you're right. If if you will. I mean, it's a context, but that's the reality, is that Steve Zuckerberg didn't go out there and say, I'm going to create Facebook. That was not his point. He created a directory. So the thing is, it's the same thing in our lives, and it doesn't have to be a Facebook. What do you want to create? Like, like, tell me, Kevin, what do you want to create? Oh, that's, that's a good question, actually. Um, I don't know. I, like, I've been thinking actually kind of a lot about that. And I think maybe it's not necessarily something that I, I necessarily want to create. Because I think I've kind of, um, like, as a creative person myself, I think I've kind of done that my whole career. I think the thing that for me is, like, I want to cr- maybe create a new passion and like create like a new hobby maybe that I take up, right? Which can kind of almost put, take the creativity and put it into a different kind of form or medium. And maybe it never actually like, nobody actually sees it or hears it or whatever it is. But like, I think for me, it's like maybe a different outlet for just kind of like a hobby, right? Like I just have a different outlet for, for things, right? That I enjoy that maybe I, I did enjoy that I haven't in the past. If that kind of answers your question, kind of sideways. No, but I, but I get it. And I, I think given your background, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're a person that has always explored uh, and gone into areas that it's the unknown. The thing sure. is you're driven by that. You're, you, you, um, you crave the unknown. And in a lot of ways, most of us do, because when we look at, uh, objectives in her life, whether we're sitting at home listening to this program and going, well, I want to write a book or I want to, I want to do something and, you know, in terms of starting a business or whatever, the reality is it's unknown. Yeah. And I think we get too wrapped up in the fact that it's unknown and that's what hinders us because now we suddenly go, well, there's a way that this has to be done or it has to, you know, we have to valid. We, we live in a world where it's so regimented that we get tied to validating 
so many things rather than organically experiencing what it is by simply doing. Sure. I throw shit against the wall all the time for no reason. Fair enough. Yeah. And I think that, you see, creativity does not have to come with reason, even though I've tried to put reason and, and tangible processes together to, to facilitate the, to facilitate all of that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't have to have reason. No, it's interesting. And that's where, that's where big ideas come from. Sure. I- big ideas come from people who go, I don't have to have a reason. I just want to do something. I want to do it. And, and what is the tripwire that gets you from just thinking about it and saying, well, I'm going to do something? Sure. Well, it's the small things. So if there was a small thing that you could do, but you are doing those things, for example, the adventure you and I are going to embark on, uh, you know, you and I never expected to be in that scenario. And here we are, except there are lots of things that are known. There's, there's quantifiable stuff that we have, but the best thing we can do is just throw it out there to a bunch of people. We rattle the status quo. And that's what has to happen is what do you understand? I would ask all the listeners right now. I'd say for, for you that, you know, that are listening right now, I'm going to ask you to take, take 10 seconds right now and say, what is your own status quo? Sure. sure. Because that's what limits you. I, I think the thing is that. At least least for me, the thing that always kind of resonated with me and it really sounds stupid and it really kind of made me think was – and I can't remember who said it – was just like anybody that achieved what they wanted to achieve in life. And it doesn't matter whether it's like fame, fortune, or you just wanted to like take up a hobby. They just decided one day to go for it. And that always just kind of was like, oh – That's so simple, right? And like for me, that always kind of resonated with me. And like, and and I've said this before on the show, and pretty much anything that I do, including the show, was to push me out of my own comfort zone, right? And so for me, it's like I feared public speaking. And in some ways, I still fear public speaking. And just doing the show helps me get over that fear. And yeah, it's selfish reason that I'm kind of doing the show, but. I also love talking to people like yourself about this kind of stuff, right? And getting people's opinions. And, you know, I have this platform now that I can put these things out there. So I'm like working on myself. I'm helping like promote other people. Have I get to network with really cool people around the world. So, but like for me, I just decided one day I'm going to start doing this, right? And if you listen to some of the earlier shows, they're a lot rougher than they are now. And I still have a long way to go, but I think that always kind of really resonated with me. It's just like, just pick a day and start. It doesn't matter if it's good, bad, or other. It really doesn't matter, right? Well, it's your, it's your fear that drives you. You know, when the majority of the world agrees with you, it's time to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Now, here's an interesting thing that Nightingale, Earl Nightingale was a, a radio legend, and he was, as I mentioned earlier, he was one of the founding partners of Nightingale Conant, that was the, the DNA of the self-help genre. But he has a, a quote that, that is one of the uh, pillar quotes of, 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 of my, my context. He says, you become what you think about. Totally. So I, I would say to, to the audience, you know, when you think about 
whether it's becoming something or you think about what you love to be, I would say, you know what, indulge yourself in that for like a couple of minutes and say, if I was to become something, this is what I'd like to become. Well, I'll tell you what, the reality is that in our world today, we have the opportunity to take steps. Now, here's the thing. If you are expecting to be the next inventor of a Facebook, okay, maybe that's a little bit out of a scope of things, but the reality is it's the little successes, it's the small pieces that that occur that really matter and fuel the growth of, of who you are. Sure. And you are driven by the fear of public speaking, but it does not prevent you from doing that because ultimately you have a, a, a purpose. And, and that underscores what I, I said earlier is that that to me, I, I do appreciate the value of understanding a purpose sure. because it's one thing to say, okay, I want to write a book because I want to be a best selling author. That is not a purpose sure. to write. Well, I think most people start you out right because you have a story to yeah, tell and everything else is a derivative. You know, people say, oh, I want to make a lot of money. Well, that's really not the purpose. Yeah. You want to do something, the money is the derivative. Yep. And, and so if you're able to say, what, you know, what is something I would want to become? And you say, well, I want to become independent. I want to have better relationships. Sure. I, I want to, uh, you know, I want to be able to be more flexible, I, whatever, whatever your purpose is. If you sit down and look at that and start focusing on that, that is the beginning of a good process. And the fact is you are creative. So, I mean, I'm sorry, you can tell me whatever you want. You can tell me you're not creative, but that's not going to fly. You are. So this is the good news is that that process is going to kick in because your brain, when you start to focus on something, your brain comes along with it. And it will start doing the work because it has access to more stuff than you consciously realize. And that's a, that's the interesting thing about the human species is that we have a brain that works on so many levels subconsciously and otherwise that we don't realize. Here's how I'll, I'll put I'll try to make it a little more tangible. Sure. When I have a problem, I don't worry about it. Okay, I know that my brain will connect the dots. I go to bed, I sleep, I wake up, I find my brain finds the answer. And so you call it uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, confidence in, in, in instinct. So I have a high level of confidence but in my instinct, that which is that broad stroke definition of the part of the brain that we don't understand. But, but the thing is the brain does work that way. Sure. And so if you have something that you're thinking about, I, I like Earl Nightingale's uh, quote, you know, you become what you think about. It's true. Because if you believe you're not creative, then that's what you will become. Sure. No, it's fair. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. But sadly, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So maybe let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself online and the book. Well, it's all easy. I mean, I am at Michael Crichton on Twitter, and I welcome any and all comments. Uh, I'm certainly on Facebook. Uh, it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-K-R-Y-T-O-N, wherever you go. I have a website, michaelcrichton.com, and you can find my book on 
on Amazon and I'm in Audible and eKindle and paperback and uh, it's called A Brilliant Idea Every 60 Seconds. I appreciate the opportunity to promote and you know, I I, uh, I I didn't write the book to become wealthier to be an author, and and really that's that's not the point. Um, really, what I like to do is I like sharing creativity. So I I hope people will uh, will reach out if you have an idea or you need an idea. Let me know. Sure. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to uh, you know working with you going forward. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. And uh, just, uh, you know, I'll leave you with one last quote that I have that it was published on uh, some dictionary, uh, eclectic dictionary on the net, and it was this, is that, you know, we're all striving to achieve perfection. So I'll leave you this with this thought. Perfection is imperfection at work. <laughs> I like it. That's good. It's good. Cool, man. Well, uh, thanks again for doing it. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them in the future.